Get ready to rumble. Chilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Naomi Wolf, a feminist influencer, columnist, and best-selling author of many books. The latest is The Bodies of Others. The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and the War Against the Human. And Naomi, welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You start out the book, and I think this is important, at least to give us a thumbnail of how your own life was upended at the onset of the pandemic. Yeah, um, we all were kind of locked down under emergency orders. I live in New York State, so the governor basically declared emergency powers. Um, But this happened at a federal level as well and state by state. Unfortunately, I understood by about June that this had nothing to do with a virus, that this was a grab for power because I'd been writing about threats to liberty since 2008 um, with my book, The End of America. And I saw that, you know, I knew that emergency powers are always the final step in a tyrant's grab to crush a democracy. And and I also realized that what we were seeing had nothing to do with any historical precedent in the West. It had nothing to do with quarantines, which are always, you know, very limited and restricted to sick people, um, not a whole nation locked down. And that, in fact, restrictions of assembly of that, of that kind, restrictions of movement are really only characteristic of closed societies like North Korea. So early on, I realized that, you know, this was an authoritarian grab to strip us of our freedoms. You know, we fell for a bait and switch because I remember our governor telling us uh, here in Virginia what we heard across the country, uh, just a a short-term lockdown, maybe just two weeks to, quote, flatten the curve. How are we so gullible to fall for that? You know, that's a great question. And I do um, track in the bodies of others the money flow that shows that millions and millions of dollars went um, from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, later from the CARES Act, a billion dollars, uh, right to news organizations to propagandize us and to tell us lies and to influencers and even to AI. I also show the role of social media companies who have really benefited from locking down all of human society, which is basically their competition. Um, they were also amplifying this message of how dangerous it was out there and just two weeks to flatten the curve. And this is making a a surround sound of fear messaging. I don't blame us for being, we were scared. You know, we were, we were shown and I deconstruct these stories. Readers of the New York times read story after story of you will die. If you touch a surface, you will die. If you let your child play on a playground, you know, you will die this horrible death on a ventilator. If you hug your grandma or she will die a horrible death on a ventilator. If you hug your grandma, I mean, it trusted news outlets, you know, the New York times, the Washington post, CNN, were all amplifying things that turned out to be a hundred percent lies. Uh, you know, I don't blame us early on for 
believing that this was an unprecedented thing and maybe indeed we had to stay apart from one another. It was completely new. They kept calling it novel coronavirus. This point two years later, um, especially if you have the information I give readers in the book, there's really no excuse to uh, remain scared and and submissive as they strip us of our last. Naomi, in, in many ways, it's like we were held captive because we're all tied into media. We're listening to the radio and I have a radio program and I was getting the, the messaging relentlessly uh, on the radio. But it, it seems to me that if there was someone who was really kind of detached from social media and the mainstream media, they would have had a very different existence, at least how they felt. Yeah, you're absolutely right, which is why I encourage people these days to you know, simply get off of Facebook, get off of Twitter, definitely don't watch MSNBC and CNN and don't read the New York Times because it is a farrago of lies. And as a journalist, I'm sad and embarrassed to say that. But, um, you know, I do exactly pose that hypothetical in the bodies of others. If you just think about your own lived experience in the pandemic, and I'm not saying it wasn't a real respiratory virus. It clearly was. But in my own lived experience, two very elderly people uh, in their mid-80s died early on in the very start of the pandemic. And that's very sad. But what I found out researching the bodies of others is that in Massachusetts, the Board of Health data shows that the average age of people who died with COVID was 82, which is four years older than the average lifespan. So there's no polite way to say this, but the cohort of people who died with COVID, and it's never even of COVID, is the cohort of people demographically who die, right? Who are at the end of their lives, who are not immortal. Not to you know, trivialize a single death, but my point is, you know, I know those two elderly people who passed away are super sad. Um, I know two people who have, you know, lingering respiratory problems. And, and I know people who got really sick and recovered, and, and that's it. And I was fine and my husband was fine and we're not vaccinated and we didn't change our lives at all except to do what I offer readers in the book. I talked to extraordinary doctors who pointed out that, for instance, one of the main risks is obesity and another main risk is not having vitamin D levels high enough. So those simple things could be so protective for the population. But you're quite right. If you look at your only your lived experience it's not bodies piled up. And I look also at the way that the CDC and other reporting outlets like uh, third-party COVID dashboards manipulated the data and fudged the data so that the data looked much worse than they really were, so as to terrify the population. And this is something I feel very angry about because it affects my loved ones to this day. For example, all of those COVID dashboards always reported the cumulative total of infections as if it was that happening on that day. So literally you would get everyone who ever got infected for the last year and a half, but that total was reported as if all those people were sick on that day. That's just misleading. Other things uh, include very loose definition of infections. So that for instance, in Oregon where my mom lives and she allows me to share this because she's kind of my model American who's being who's smart and, and educated but being bombarded with nonsense. The governor in Oregon defines a COVID case as presenting with a cough or a fever. So there are many, many ways in which um, the data were nudged and, and fudged and hyped and tweaked to make the pandemic seem much scarier than it was. We don't even know if it's a pandemic, right? That's why that chapter is titled The 
unverifiable pandemic. In the beginning of the book, you talk about something that is so important, and I don't think a lot of people have considered this, this attack on human touch. And really, as the title of the book alludes to in the final sense, the war against the human, this deprivation of humanity from from us and each other. Yeah, that is a really, really important thing for us to grasp. Again, think back on the policies and the truisms of of this pandemic uh, messaging which have been taken as gospel, one of them being you're not supposed to touch other human beings. It's a war on touch. Um, you know, you're not supposed to shake hands. You're not supposed to hug each other. You know, I realized something was terribly wrong in New York State when the governor declared that I couldn't have more than six people in my home at one time, you know, which is a total violation of my First Amendment right of free assembly. But also, I'd, I'd read enough studies at that point to know the importance of ventilation. You know, it's not as simple as how many people are in your home, but, but also, like, it's my home, yeah. right? And, and I was aware that, for instance, the Amish community and the Orthodox Jewish community were simply ignoring these strictures and were assembling as usual. You know, that may or may not be wise um, when there's a respiratory infection going on, but that is the definition of a free society. People get to choose for themselves their level of risk. What is super clear is that many of the many of the uh, messages are about killing off our, you know, the things that we do as human beings that make us stronger. And one of those is touch, touching each other, being close to each other, hugging each other. Um, another one is our faces. When you say to children, you have to keep six feet apart, and you say to all human beings, you have to cover your faces. Uh, what you're doing there is you're killing off the advantage that human beings have together that machines can never match, at least not yet. And I'm a tech CEO, so I really understand the value of depressing human touch and human faces um, when you're a tech company. The business model of these tech companies that made billions off of the lockdowns is threatened by the fact that human beings can make each other happy by touching each other, by hugging each other, you know, boosting endorphins by playing team sports together, being in a choir together, standing face-to-face at a town hall, you know, hugging grandma, but also human faces. An emoji cannot match what it does to people to see a smile or to talk. Human beings talk to each other, and masks make it very hard for people to communicate. So when social media messages stand six feet apart, stand six feet apart, don't touch each other, you know, and, and, and mandates masks, don't talk to each other, don't talk to each other, don't smile at each other. What that does is it drives us onto their products. It drives us onto digital interfaces. And there, they're harvesting our data and they're harvesting our eyeballs, meaning our attention, which is very valuable. There are basically three business models for a tech company, eyeballs, data, and subscriptions. And then the vaccine passport, lastly, which tries to get us to take an injection just to be able to join human society, that's like putting a paywall up in front of human community, human commerce, human society, human worship, and using your body as your credit card. I really recognize that the tech world influenced these policies to suppress all the ways that human beings create wonderful experiences for each other together that technology cannot match. And, and that just served to, as you see in the book, I, I show people the, the profits generated by suppressing the human advantage, human touch, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, they're all up 
30 to 40 percent since 2020. You mentioned face mask and face covering, and that was, to me, one of the worst things. I initiated a suit against the governor of Virginia on the topic. I was so outraged by this. But the messaging that was so destructive, you wear your mask to protect me, and I wear my mask to protect you, right? which immediately went uh, went to the heart of just attacking people who were maskless. First of all, thank you for taking action. Without those lawsuits, we would not be, you know, the marginally more free country than others that we are today. So it's really important you did that. You're, you're absolutely right. The whole messaging of, which is not even scientifically accurate because vaccines don't affect transmission, masks barely make a difference as studies have shown. The whole messaging of your body belongs to the collective, yeah. right? You have to sacrifice your choice for the collective. That is not just a quote-unquote medical message, even though it's fake medicine, it's also an ideological and philosophical message. And it's a message that undoes the essence of Western civilization, which is an individual has human rights and and the right of free will and and choice. And it replaces it with a straight-up CCP-style Marxist message that our bodies belong to others, a totalitarian message that your body belongs to others, which is where the title of the book comes from, of course. And it's profound because if <laughs> I kept thinking, you know what, if, if two masks are what's needed, wear two masks and leave me alone. You know, like the, the idea of masking yourself so that you don't harm others instead of the way we would have handled it in America, which is you know, people make their own decisions about risk. They wear masks if they feel at risk. They wear two masks if they feel at risk, or they stay away from the rave if they feel at risk, but they don't force everyone else to change everyone else's behavior because of their own concerns. That's America. And that's also, you know, the First and Fourth Amendment. We literally, and and HIPAA, and the Nuremberg Code, like you literally are, it is unlawful to compel people, as we're seeing, because courts are striking these mandates down, to compel people to take an injection that they don't want. And it's it's unlawful to force them to cover their faces if they don't want to. Um, you know, just like it's un- unlawful to, to force a woman not to cover her face if she has a religious objection to covering her face. You know, these are straight-up First Amendment issues. It is tragic that especially the whole kind of messaging, which is so unscientific, that the unvaccinated are somehow a threat to everyone else. No evidence of that because the vaccines don't affect transmission, as I said earlier. But on the basis of that lie, which our president told and, and, and Jen Psaki told and other, you know, trust uh, should be trusted leaders told this lie. It created a two-tier society. That is Jim Crow laws in America within a matter of 18 months. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with author Naomi Wolf in just a moment. Online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets, and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. 
Border Hawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at News on Twitter. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. We continue with Naomi Wolf. The new book is The Bodies of Others. And I want to go to the school shutdown. You know, I have a lot of problems with government schools, but this situation was just dangerous, destructive, ill-advised. What happened here to this breakdown where we thought we could just pull kids out of school for a year, year and a half, two years with no effect? What happened is that vast sums flowed to the teachers' unions, and, and the teachers' unions very corruptly. And then other, other vast sums flowed from the CARES Act, in which basically universities and schools were told, you can have millions of dollars. In, in the case of one school in my local area, in the Hudson Valley, $7.8 million for a high school if you go along with the COVID protocols. And the COVID po- protocols include shutting everything down um, and distance learning, for a long, 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 long time with the catastrophic harms to kids, which they may never recover from. Um, and then when schools opened up again, horribly abusive policies like um, forcing kids to distance, forcing kids to mask. And I'm hearing from across the country that teenagers, even in states where this is not the law, are being told they can't participate in team sports unless they are injected with an experimental mRNA uh, injection. This is absolutely criminal, and parents knew how harmful it was, but, you know, as you and I discussed in the first six months, everyone was scared. They didn't know it was safe. And, and again, the, the New York Times, they're, you know, a bunch of journalistic criminals at this point because they ran stories that implied that children were death bombs, even though children neither, you know, they don't get very sick from COVID, and also because you can't tell. COVID doesn't have a DNA like a crime scene, you can't tell where you get sick from, right? And I deconstructed one of these articles in the New York Times that purported to claim that schools were a vector of transmission. And it wasn't true. All, all the studies showed was that some teachers got sick and some students got sick. But it didn't prove, because you can't, that the teachers got sick from, sick from the students. And in fact, you know, the most common places people are getting sick are in their own homes, because we're packing multi-generational households together, which infectious experts always knew is a recipe for infection. So this false messaging was sent out that, you know, children are endangering teachers. Teachers are scared of being in the classroom. Um, And instead of doing sensible things like holding class outside in the half of the country where you could safely do that for half a year at least, or ventilation, which, as I mentioned before, dramatically improves the health of a place when there's infectious diseases going on, um, or letting the teachers teach on screen while the kids are in class in person or any number of other solutions. It was all one size fits all. Kids were chained to their computers in a way that would never have been considered 
prior to that time because it's so clearly abusive. And the stories I report in the bodies of others from teachers um, and from parents about how this affected kids, how, for instance, child abuse uh, and you know hunger and other problems that teachers can spot when kids are in person, they couldn't spot those on the screen. And so kids who were at risk just dropped off the radar and vanished. Um, and other horrific stories, you know, the phrase child suicidality, I'd never heard it mm. before 2020. Children's mental health, understandably, is off, off the charts terrible. And kids, a Brown University study showed that the average drop in children's IQ is 21 points wow. during the pandemic, which, as you know, is the difference between normal and brilliant or in the other direction, normal and impaired. And that is due to restrictions on social interaction. So we had this attack on kids. We had this attack on humanity. We also had an attack on, I think, the middle class, especially in the essential versus non-essential businesses. The big businesses got passes. The small mom and pop businesses, medium size, had to shut down. Uh, How could they possibly justify that discrimination between these various businesses that were, in many cases, doing the same thing? Yeah, thank you so much for asking all the right questions. And I I do have a chapter on exactly this. Um, in addition to the attack on kids, uh, the pandemic was a cover for the biggest theft against the middle class in uh, probably in human history, because just what you described, uh, there was a list, and not just in America, but in Canada and the UK, these are kind of global scripts um, that are identical, a list uh, created essential and non-essential services. And again, they didn't make sense. Like, the church is closed, but the liquor store is open, or, you know, the little bodega has to close, but the Walmart, which is packing people in with, you know, no ventilation is open. Indeed, just like in a centrally planned economy, a bunch of, you know, especially small businesses, restaurants, sole proprietorships had to close by fiat. And by extension, this is less often discussed, but equally important, small landlords um, were attacked. Uh, those, you know, immigrant families or, you know, in my case, I was a single mom and I scrimped and saved for, you know, years to be able to afford one tiny little rental property. Mm-hmm. And this is true of, you know, millions of landlords who are not giant, rich landlords, but are just ordinary people who, you know, worked really hard and got this one rental property. Well, the CDC declared that there could be no evictions. And so what happened to small landlords is that it over the course of six months with no income, they couldn't afford to to hold on. And so there was a fire sale of these small assets to big institutional investors at, uh, at BlackRock, which mm. scooped up all these residential properties. Um, and again, mom and pop shops, restaurants, they couldn't afford to hold on. Or boards of health would say, okay, you can have 10 people in. Now you can have 20 people in. Now you can have only 10 people in. Now you have to close. And so it's like they harassed them into being, you know, it being impossible for them to uh, make a living, pay their staff, even know how many staff to hire. Surfaces had to be, you know, had things done to them. Plastic sheeting, like everything to make it awful to go to a restaurant or not possible at all. And so 110,000 restaurants were forced to close. Well, who scooped up all of that revenue? Um, another category is uh, event spaces, right? In New York State, 
crazy rules on weddings and funerals. You have to dance apart. You have to keep your mask on, then take it off to take a sip of champagne, then put it back on again. All of these just serve to crush the event industry. Um, And so those beautiful historic properties, which are rare, got sold to, again, institutional investors. It's a massive wealth transfer. And and what happens, there's also a political dimension because the middle class, the bourgeoisie, small owners of small businesses or small investors, small uh, restaurateurs, they're independent. They cannot, you know, they can mount an opposition. They can support a populist president like President Trump. I didn't vote for him, but I see how he represents the danger of a non-establishment candidate actually gaining power. So if you crush the middle classes, you're not just crush, you're not just stealing those assets and creating a, an oligopoly around those industries, but you're also crushing the most powerful source of dissent, organized resistance there could be in a country like ours. Naomi, I don't know if you have an answer for this, but I want to ask you, we live in a college town here in Charlottesville, Virginia, lots of young people around, and yet we can't find anybody to do any jobs. Where have all the mm-hmm. workers gone? Oh, that's a, that's a sad and complicated question. Um, I mean, one thing that happened, which was super Marxist, and by the way, all this has been done before, you know, um, the communists in Russia deliberately crashed their own economy so that they could seize economic control. And that's what we're seeing here. And the same thing happened in China. The communists drove people to starvation so that people would become dependent on the government. Um, So these are old tricks. These are old Marxist tricks, if you look at history, and totalitarian tricks, right? Because they're right-wing tyrants as well. It relates to your question because in the, for months and months and months during the lockdowns, people were given pretty uh, substantial unemployment And usually I support government programs like that, but people were incentivized to stay home. And the fear fear messaging also incentivized people to be on unemployment rather than working. The workplace was portrayed as too, too terrifying. One of the things that clearly happened in the last two years is that policies were set in place to kind of untie, undo a lot of the social contract in the West. And one piece of the social contract is you get up and you go to a workplace and then you go home and you're with your peers in a workplace. And that's been the case since the industrial revolution began. You know, you leave your home, you go to a workplace. Well, we have a generation of young people now who have no experience of that. You know, they're, they've never had to get up, get on a bus or get on a, get in their car, or, you know, walk to work, be at a workplace all day long go home, right? Mm -hmm. And so if they are able to not do that, there's no stigma, there's no reason not to. So a lot of young people who would otherwise be very ambitious uh, in another generation, I see around me, if they can get by on just enough or a gig, you know, a few gigs here and there or remote work, you know, from time to time, even if it's not going to lead to something better, even if it's you know, not developing their skills, you kind of can't blame them because they're, the, the promise of come to a workplace, do a bad internship or a bad entry-level position, do a lot of Xeroxing, and then you'll be promoted, and then you'll have colleagues, and then you'll be part of a professional network. Uh, that's just gone. So that's one reason. That's, I guess the other thing I would say is uh, so many moms 
are so appalled at the abuse their children are suffering in school that there's been a boom in homeschooling. So the, the women, there's been a mass exodus of women out of the workforce, which as a, a feminist, for decades, people have been like, how do we get women into the workforce and make sure they're you know, equally paid and so on? Well, that's all out the window. Nobody cares about women, <laughs> right, mm. suddenly. And, you know, and all those skilled, skilled, highly educated, trained women or, you know, women in, in the working class with their skills and their resources, they're all lost to employers because they're at home trying to homeschool their kids. Finally, Naomi Wolf, is there any silver lining to the dark clouds that are over America right now? Do you see anything hopeful at the end of this? Well, what's hopeful is that you and I are discussing this and millions of people are paying attention and wanting to have this conversation. I think, look, I think we're in a war. It's an undeclared war. So I don't want to sugarcoat how serious this is. We're about to lose our sovereignty if the World Health Organization goes ahead and has the United States and 190 other countries as signatories to this treaty that they're proposing. But what's super hopeful is the people of the United States, if they understand how serious this is, I do believe and I'm seeing that there's kind of a grassroots movement that has formed that transcends left and right, people from all walks of life, all races and backgrounds, joining together to save our country, save our republic. And I see that happening in democracies across the world. So we just need to stay the course and be patriots. But it really is, you know, 1775 again. Naomi Wolf, if people would like to follow you online or get a copy of your new book, The Bodies of Others, how can they do that? Um, So you can order my book on Amazon or even better, go to your local bookstore and order it there. Order on on IndieBound or on DailyCloud.io. And you can follow what we're doing on DailyCloud.io. And I'm Dr. Naomi R. Wolf on Getter. It is such an important book, and I hope everyone takes the time to read it. The information will astound you. Naomi Wolf, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you so much. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.